Hi, this is Open Source Futures and I'm Eddie Chu, where I discuss current news through the lens of long-term trends and futures thinking. Well, for this whole series, I've not been too much about current news, but I've talked about current developments, so uh, do pardon me. Um, so, it's been, this is, it's been nine episodes and this, this is the last one for this series, and uh, this time I'm going to talk about what happens after the scenarios, after you created those wonderful products, about how um, possible futures could look like. So, I started with uh, thinking about the Singapore budget and how that might look like through a futures lens. Then I started talking about decarbonization, and then I went through this whole steep bucket. So steep is social, technology, economics, environment, and politics. And I talk about uncertainties, predetermined trends, and how you use them to build access. So if you stayed with me all this while, thank you so much for your patience, and I really, really appreciate you for it. So, um, so... As I've mentioned before, the um, scenarios is really just the end of the beginning, right? So it's just the end of the beginning. It's often part of a whole other process about how organizations or countries might be preparing for uncertain future possibilities. So I have to say again, it's not predictive. It is not predictive. It's, if anyone is claiming that they can offer you definite predictions about something, you should run, well, except maybe if it's about demographics. But, uh, but yeah, we don't we don't predict. I mean, people who do scenarios and futures, they don't really predict per se. They say that these are possibilities, and after all, this is really an exercise in uh, managing your assumptions and thinking about where your assumptions could go wrong and how you can switch between different perspectives. So it's more about unlocking assumptions and using that to look at possibilities and uh, challenges in totally different ways. So uh, there, are, there are other measures that often go together with that process. Um, so I'm going to talk about something called horizon scanning, which in some places is really just intelligence. So it could be just that, it could be what it says, horizon scanning, where you look at the time horizon, you look at the events that are happening now and think about how they might look like 10 years later. So, um, yeah, so thinking about how these new developments could create new opportunities or challenges, right? So about the iPhone back in 2007 or the YouTube or YouTube in 2005, Facebook in 2004, Google in 1996. If you look at it just 10 years, just even 5 years after their launch, right? They, they weren't even the giants that they uh, look like today. Or even Tesla in 2008. They, some of them have really, really long gestation periods. Right? I think Amazon has a really long gestation period. And you have to be have been a really patient investor to stick with Jeff Bezos, right? Um, and that's changing. So, um, so... If, you know, those remarkable things have taken so long to incubate for, the, for us to start regulating them seriously. So we just think about what's, what are the inventions or developments that are happening today that might not be covered, but could actually have very big impacts. So from, from my perspective, it does look like CRISPR, looks like it might be something that, re, that it's really big that might change the way we look at medicine. But things in biomedical Things in the biomedical field take a really long time to break through, so uh, so it might not be happening in the next five years. It might not even be happening in the next ten years. But maybe you know, in twenty years' time, um, by the time your kids are growing up, you know, when they go into medicine, they are not talking about 
uh, drugs or pharmaceuticals, you know, they might be talking instead about CRISPR stuff. Um, yeah, so your biological textbooks might be rewritten in some ways. Um, so yeah, that, that could be one area. Quantum communications looks like another, so not the whole quantum computer and quantum supremacy, all that stuff, but about um, how you can have super secure communications uh, without interference, without hacking, uh, because once you hack into a quantum system, you give yourself out and people will just stop and move on to another channel or something like that. So um, these are the ways that we can imagine things can happen. And so, uh, yeah, who knows? In the next five or ten years, we'll be subscribing to quantum comms um, for our broadband in whatever organization you're in. So this team of horizon scanners, right, it doesn't have to be a big team. Um, and it doesn't have to be dedicated specialists with PhDs. Um, but it needs people who are really good communicators to see the potential in something. So they, not just communication, but also the imagination. And there will be misses too. So misses in the sense that you could have a really big thing happening, but you know, five years out, ten years out, still doesn't look like it. So uh, for me, I think additive manufacturing was that kind of experience. So... It's not that everybody ended up having a 3D printer in their own home, but rather that it turned out to be really useful in some niche applications, so in aerospace and in medical devices, it turns out to have been really useful, and I think we might see more of that in those domains. The other thing would be uh, really advanced robotics. So um, the I'm thinking of Baxter Technologies. Um, they have this really simple-to-program robot. I think it's Baxter. I can't remember what the real company is, but it was touted as a model for which people might work with robots, but it's not like your mom and pop shop will have a Baxter collaborative robot in their backend sorting system right in their warehouse. So uh, uh, things don't happen linearly, they happen in, in uh, what's that? They happen in jumps sometimes, so uh, it's really hard to catch. Um, so you have to be ready for mistakes. Yeah, so things are going to go wrong. Um, things are going to go not the way that Horizon's team might be. So you have to prepare, your organization has to be prepared for this kind of, uh, for this kind of venture. So, um, and the other thing is, if you're working in a large organization, typically the Horizon scanning team is in the strategy center or in the risk center, and they are not plugged into operations. So there's a risk if it's not part of operations, um, because then I know it's it's like it's very weird to have two different cultures clashing with each other, right? So operations folks are typically efficient minded, um, and so something like futures might be seen to be interfering with their work. So you have to be um, really clear about what you're after and try to uh, find find some way to communicate with uh, people in those uh, verticals. So there has to be some kind of mutual respect and recognition of the different roles that they are playing. So. Um, it may be that the operations team are is aware of, of the risk of opportunities that they are talking about. And so the, the, the horizon scanning team might instead be a kind of integrator of knowledge or a kind of messenger or a communicator to communicate their concerns to leadership or to other parts of the organization. And it could really be an integrator uh, across all the different silos and figure out what might be uh, more optimal for the entire organization instead of silos. But then another model could be that, um, so th sorry, so that's the other model that 
that the futures team could be could be in the role of a convener type, a facilitator kind of role, uh, helping verticals and silos manage their own futures better within the silo. So that could also be possible. Um, uh, so another kind of futures team that could be possible is the what if team, right? So a what if team could address alternatives and, and debating and addressing what might happen, what kinds of new opportunities or challenges that the organization needs to respond to. So being a great team can be seen to be like a kind of nuisance. So that's the trade-off for that. But you're supposed to get a more robust learning organization out of this whole process. And there are various ways to create the futures team. Right? So you, it may not be a permanent staff. It could be a project-based ad hoc kind of process where you, you have two or three uh, people who are, you know, turn out to be good facilitators as well across uh, the entire organization. And they have, and if you're lucky, they ought to be the people who are well-respected within the organization, who are, who are comfortable with leading across different, uh, different groups and different perspectives. So there are different ways to go about it, and it doesn't have to be just organizational or a national level kind of thing. You can do futures by yourself too, actually. So when Peter Schwartz, one of the uh, promoters of scenario planning, when he wrote about scenarios in Wired magazine, he actually used it in the context of career planning for a would-be aerospace engineer. So that's something you can do for yourself in thinking about how you want to engage with the industry that you're in, how to engage with the work that you're in. Often the biggest difficulty in all this is narrow planning process in the corporate setting. It really is the mindset. It's about um, people thinking it's a waste of time imagining the future. And in a way, it's true, right? Because it's a waste of time for them, right? And they don't, might not always see the value. So yeah, sometimes you really just have to play rank and say that, hey, the CEO wants this or the, or the top leader wants this. And uh, But sometimes it's also about trying to figure out what could be the source of your reaction. It could be because they see this as a threat to their own status. So you have to have this personal ability, right, to kind of figure it out and try to nudge the person into this whole process and try to get their comments and um, buying it in and help, helping them to be bought into this so that they know that their comments are valued and that they can, um, they know that they are not under threat of any kind. So. You, you might have to do a bunch of things to get that to happen, but if you can, you know, you could always uh, remind them constantly that their feedback is extremely valuable, that their comments are valuable, that their perspectives are valuable, and maybe that they might come to the table. But it's not, I can't guarantee that. So, you know, as a result, people who do futures and sometimes in these organizations, they're not stuck in a catch-22. They're usually, it's because they're usually not allowed to do work that you know, upturns the assumptions of the organization, so they end up doing low-stakes work that's low-risk. Uh, and that might not be attractive or compelling to people, and then in turn makes people think that the process isn't helpful. I mean, yeah, it's kind of set up for failure kind of thing, and it's very hard to square this circle. So I cannot promise you that this is the way of success, right? So, and it's also that it's not a... Um, it's not a distinctive thing entirely by itself, or you can easily point to something and say, hey, you know, that's a real good example of a product. Um, but, you know, if you enjoy a science fiction movie, hey, you know, science fiction movies are a kind of futures. It's imagining trends and playing them out in the world that the writers, the actors, the directors, they all create together. And it's a kind of constrained imagination in this, as, as you can see. 
So it's part of this uh, constrained imagination process, right? So figuring out the axes, the uncertainties that form the structure of the story and the predetermined trends, they form the meat of the story sometimes. So, and, uh, and what happens at the end, you know, you create this narrative. So those are the possibilities. That's the product of the imagination. So you have to have people who are comfortable in different disciplines, right? So uh, you have to have integrators who are, who are able to walk across uh, different disciplines and are fully aware of the values that all these things bring, the different disciplines bring, and maintain some kind of harmony across them and apply them to the scenarios and futures work. So I say harmony because it's not a balance, right? So harmony because they have to fuse them together in ways that respond to uh, the context that you're working in. So if you're working in a technology product, I may not necessarily want a balance of something. I might really want to play out the salience of technology in some way or some other thing. So I meant to say harmony as in like a good combination of all this and the appropriate combination for the situation you're in. <sighs> all right, so um, I hope I've given you a sense of what futures could look like and how it could be useful. Uh, and I hope I've given you uh, some of the tips um, uh, that you might have to uh, that you might have to use uh, as you encounter possibly resistance in your work. So uh, I don't want to say that you know this is the this is the end all and be all of all things, right? So it's not. It's really just a nice tool that you can bring across your whole life. And I hope that it has really opened up your imagination to more things. So um, so this is it. This is the last episode of this mini-series and I really really thank you very much for listening in and uh, hopefully I'll be back for more next time. So as usual if you want to contribute to this it's patreon.com slash open source futures open source futures one word and it's buy me a coffee slash op source futures. Thank you very much and hope to see you soon again. <laughs> <laughs>